Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, and welcome to this podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Today, we're going to be talking about supplements, GMOs, economics, and biomimicry. The supplement industry is a $55 billion industry. But the problem with supplements is that they are so decontextualized. They're not in their whole form. They are processed and they are reductionist in the worst sense of the word. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Well, if you've got an orange and orange is filled with all kinds of stuff, including vitamin C, but you see lots of vitamin C in the shops, vitamin C is being taken out of something like an orange and reduced down chemically to a reduced form. So it's not in its original whole context. And research shows that when you eat that orange, you're going to get the right amount of vitamin C balance with all the other nutrients and vitamins and fibers and sugars and so on. And that balances how your body will use that. That's whole versus reductionist. As soon as you break things down and take parts out, you start changing their characteristics and you change the benefit inside the body. Things are designed to be eaten in their holistic form and our body is designed to process it in that way. So supplements is an, is an incredibly um, good example of reductionism gone wrong because it takes something like vitamin C or vitamin A or whatever, takes a part of something and reduces it down. So the other thing about supplements is that the Supplements Health and Education Act of 1994 deregulated the supplement industry. And that's a problem because it basically means that supplement producers can claim health benefits for their products without the actual oversight of an official standards or independent studies. So they can kind of say anything they want, that it does this and does that. And you don't know unless you're reading a medical journal and you're studying those on a daily basis, you're not going to know when you're having something that is actually doing what they say it's doing. Also, if you're eating a real food diet mindfully, like I've been advocating in this challenge, then you're going to be eating the right amount of nutrients and vitamins and minerals that your body needs. You see, your body knows what it needs. If you're eating correctly, your body literally tells you what you need. You've experienced this. Once you transfer over and have changed over to a very clean diet, your body knows when it needs, when certain things are missing. You just, you know that thing like you just crave a banana or you just know you need some, some things, some, an orange or you know you need something. That is your body telling you what it needs to balance it at that moment. But research shows that when you are eating the modern American diet, you actually block this incredible ability of your brain and body to read what it needs in terms of nutrients and vitamins and minerals. And then you'll take the wrong things. Also, there's the tendency to think, well, I can eat junk food, I can eat whatever I want, but then I'll just supplement with mm. supplements. But most of those supplements just go through directly through your body anyway, and they can be quite dangerous because you don't know exactly how much you're getting in a supplement. And research shows that, for example, one of the big go-tos is the vitamin C when people feel fluey. They go straight to that, you know, take extra vitamin C. 
But research shows that too much vitamin C can actually in- increase your chance of getting cancer. So, you know, there's a lot more involved than just simply go to that supplement store and just buy a whole bunch of supplements. I'd much rather advise you to spend your money wisely on eating real food and eating it mindfully. And then you don't need to supplement unless medically they have identified something in you that's missing and you get an organic food-based type supplement that is going to address that need. But very often you can do that with food anyway. So if you if you know that you have a shortage of vitamin D, which is very common in women that are going through menopause, then you can ha- you can supplement by increasing maybe salmon in your diet or whatever. So there's diff- there's many ways of doing it with whole food, which science shows is much more safe than using supplements. Okay, so the other thing is that coming back to the whole thing of regulation, even when there are negative results published, companies don't have to withdraw these supplements because the FDA does not regulate the production. So, I mean, this is scary. You could be, there are things on the shelves in these health food stores that are actually potentially dangerous and have studies shown that they're potentially dangerous, but because there's no regulation, um, they are basically not withdrawn. And we have this perception, well, they are from nature, so they're good for me. So maybe if I take extra and people tend to over-medicate and I have, I work with a team of doctors and one of them is an endocrinologist and she's very, very concerned about how people are self-medicating on uh, on these supplements that are pretty man, much man man-made, taking nature and reducing down in these man-made supplements. And sometimes she has patients that come with bags full of these tablets and and that's what's causing their their hormonal issues is they've taken too many supplements. So the other thing is, as I said earlier, unless you're reading medical journals, you're not going to know this stuff. So you need to be very, very careful of, of that. Then we need to look at also what is influencing when it comes to food and economics. And this is a big subject. I'm just going to touch on a couple of these things is that there is definitely a link between big dollars and government and industry. And for example, in um, the, in in 2003, the WHO recommended that sugar added sugar was reduced by 10% of the daily calories. And this was in, in response to the rising obesity epidemic. But because the companies that sold sugary products saw this as, an, as impacting their, their finances and their profits, and I'm talking about corporates in America, they then approached the government and you know, threatened the government to stop providing funds for you know lobbying and various different things and so the government put pressure on the US government put pressure on the WHO that they would withdraw unless the WHO changed the changed this 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 law this ruling and they did so people therefore were not told to eat less sugar which they needed to and that was taken away all for the view of profit. Now, this information with the references is in my book called Think and Eat Yourself Smart. Um, I'm specifically talking about information in chapter six and seven, and you'll find all the links and all the references there. The um, the British Medical Journal um, has, has done a whole article on how the food industry manipulates nutritional science for financial gain. So there's an actual scientific, not one, many scientific journal articles talking about this being a huge problem. So we need to be very careful of how we are using supplements and how we bring them into our diet. So now let's talk a little bit about GMOs. So these, this GMO technology is, this is, this is such a controversial subject because people are, you know, is it safe? Isn't it safe? And to the point where there's been a lot of media um, hype out there saying it is safe. Um, it isn't safe. But the problem is that we actually, I think, Probably one of the most, for me, one of the most logical reasons why we need to be careful of GMOs is because we only understand approximately 2% of how the soil functions. So the soil on this planet 
we only understand around about 2%. So 98% of the con- of the what the soil is made up of and how it works and how it works in terms of, of everything and it's it's vital to as we know the, the, it's vital to the earth it's vital to us surviving. We don't understand it so we don't really know the impact of GMOs on the soil and we don't we can't say we only understand 2%. So this is a problem. So what is a GMO? GMO stands for gen- genetically modified organisms and it's basically what the fancy word is recombinant DNA technology and what that means is the gene from one organism is placed in another organism in order to create a new type of seed with one or more desired traits for example being herbicide tolerant so that you can spray for insects but it won't kill the seed and most recently um, to stop things going brown after you cut them so in other words genes are manipulated to acquire desired traits like not going brown when you've cut them or not you know being able to be resistant to the pesticides and the herbicides. And this process they call in vitro DNA modification. And it's kind of like a complicated genetic game of cuts and paste. So it's also tends to be a reductionistic approach, much like supplements. And it's kind of what we call silo type thinking. Um, and it's not looking at the whole context and solutions to everything are always found in context. And that's the big picture. You can't just look at isolated things and think you found the answer. You have to always look at things in context. And GMOs look at things in a very, very reductionistic way. So we kind of like not looking at the intelligence that we see in nature, but we but we're trying to manipulate nature. So it's not a very good thing at all. So where do we draw the line? We need to be able to be very careful because it's a very dangerous science. And it basically should be more in the laboratory till we actually can understand it a little bit more. The main danger of GMOs is that we don't know what the main danger actually is. And that's scary. So it's very premature to claim that the GMO debate is over because it's not. But newspaper headlines and indeed many sources of material cannot be taken at face value because of the potential publication bias, which means that they bias by the industries that are funding the GMO studies. So we need to actually have a look at what's going on behind the scenes when, when these studies are put out there, who's funding them. Um, in 2011, a, st- a study researchers found that there was a very strong association between industry-related GMO research and positive outcomes for GM foods in these scientific studies. And that's scientific, um, that's publication bias. So they were funded by companies producing the GMO seeds. So they made it look, in, it, it was twisted. The studies were twisted in terms of their favor, in terms of favoring the GMO. A very important study came out. The Environmental Science Europe published a paper at the beginning of 2015 noting how there is no global scientific consensus. And that I want to stress. There is no global scientific consensus on GMO food safety. There's no global epidemiological studies investigating the potential effects of GM foods on the consumption, uh, on GM food consumption on human health. And there's no global consensus on the environmental risks of GM crops by the global scientific community. So that means that there's no agreement. There's no global agreement. People actually don't know what's going on with GM foods. Research shows that GM foods have been associated. Also, there's been a lot of studies showing that research shows that GM foods have been associated with autism, allergies, infertility, and cancer. So these are these are major issues. We, we need to really think about a little bit more about this.
Um, just a couple of couple more points about GM. GM seeds contaminate non-GMO crops through natural processes such as pollination and the weather. So then you've got non-GMO crops on one farm, and because of natural pollination and weather and so on, you get that you get a mix between these seeds. And another thing about GM seeds is that they die after one lot of use, whereas seeds, natural seeds, will generally keep going there's a there's a continual ongoing cycle so farmers have to keep repurchasing the seeds which increases costs whether or not we choose to eat gm foods we are all part of these ecosystems and we are all affected by the agricultural production of of gmos and gmo and the other thing and this is the last point i'm going to make about gm crops you can see a lot more in chapter six and chapter seven of my book think and eat yourself smart and also in my online program 63 days to think and eat yourself smart one more thing, as I said, the last point I'm going to make about GM is that GM crops cannot meet the food needs of the world's population with reduced yields compared to conventional and agroecological methods, which actually yield 214% better in some studies. They just take longer. So GMO has been very much punted to, to meet the, the world's crisis for food, but research shows actually it doesn't, that the healthy way of growing food yields a 214% better yield. So that's a very interesting point that we don't always hear about. So let's talk now a little bit about biomimicry very quickly. So what is biomimicry? Biomimicry is such a fabulous idea. It's an idea inspired by nature, switching from learning about the natural world to learning from the natural world. So looking for solutions in the natural world. These are solutions that are solved in context, and that context is the earth. So it's literally observing how do birds fly, how do, um, how do, uh, and how can you apply that in engineering? For example, the sonic boom that trains used to produce when they went through tunnels at very fast speeds, those that was reduced by observing certain types of birds flying and certain and the engineering of that and that was then applied to the to the, the technology of the trains. Use of fish tanks, water grown vegetables in greenhouses known as aquaponics. Um, these are um, the uh, this is these are examples of biomimicry. Um, using cows to imitate wild animal grazing patterns to reverse desertification. That means putting cows onto areas that are like deserts and allowing them to just roam like wild animals brings the grasslands back. So these there's a lot of things that we can learn from nature in order to apply those in how we can manage our earth much more efficiently. And this is called biomimicry, so much better than GMO technology. At this stage, GMO technology should be kept in the laboratory and we should focus a lot more time on biomimicry. I have a chapter in my book on that as well. And I suggest you also Google it and have a look at some of the references I I give. It's fascinating to see what we use in technology that's based upon nature. So to end this podcast today, I want to read a quote from Michael Pollan, one of my heroes, and that kind of summarizes everything I said today. Came from a plant, eat it. Was made in a plant, don't. This is Dr. Caroline Leaf. Thank you for joining me today. 